This is the fourth teaching of the series Grace Revolution and is entitled Red Card. Enjoy. Let's just, uh, let's just pray. Daddy God, thank you. Thank you for your word, thank you for your smile, thank you for your presence, thank you for the beauty of who you are, and thank you that you have done it all, and you are looking for someone who will believe you, and uh, it is the desires of our heart to hear your voice saying, it is done, it is finished, you don't have to do anything, all you have to do is receive what I have done, and because of that, Lord, we're so thankful. Help me tonight, Lord, amen. So, um... Grace Revolution, um, chapter 4. We are going to uh, go through quickly uh, 1, 2, and 3. And we started with the idea, if you remember, that uh, uh, there's a new type of cheese. We, we started with the idea that uh, we've been eating the same type of cheese for a long time. And the reason why we eat the same type of cheese is because we don't know there's anything else. There's anything different. So... I, I tried, and in all humility, I would like to serve you a bit of cheese, okay? Uh, and then we saw that uh, the, the basic of all religion is a contractual relationship. In other words, religion says, I do something for God, God does something for me. And that is the basis of all religion, including uh, charismatic, uh, evangelical, Protestant. Why do I say that? Because the evangelicals, the charismatic, and the well, we know we know the Catholics, and we know Islam, and we know Buddhism, and we know all the other religions. But uh, charismatic, for instance, the 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 medium of exchange is what faith. If I give enough faith, he's going to answer my prayers. And it's like it's like this. Uh, this uh, slot machine, and we, we put in the coins, the faith coins, and then we pull the handle, and God pays. And God pays because we put enough uh, coins. So that is the basis of all religion. However, when we see a passage like, Come unto me, all of you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls, because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When we see a, a text like that, uh, how do we handle it? How do we handle this this heaviness that 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 the the, the normal church puts on our shoulders that we have to perform? And you know it, and I know it. That there's always that that subtle sometimes, but most of the time not so subtle uh, demand for performance, which is a contractual. Uh, experience. In other words, you perform, I pay you. You don't perform, I don't pay you. And that is the, 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 the thing that goes on over and over again. And then we've looked at a very interesting um, fact. The fact that we have uh, all been told that the New Covenant starts from the first page after Malachi. And I've explained to you 
that the book of Hebrews says, I mean, reason says the testament doesn't start until the one who wrote the testament dies. But even the book of Hebrews, the letter to the, to the Hebrews, says clearly says that the, there is no testament until the testator dies. It, it, has to die, it has to begin with the death of the testator. So we have seen that we have the spirit of time that the Bible calls Gospels that has got nothing to do with, uh, um, with the New Testament. It's still part, uh, we'll cover, we will cover it now, we'll see now, but basically we see that the New Testament starts the moment that Jesus on the cross says, it is finished. And that's the moment when the veil is split from top to bottom. It opens the, 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 the entrance to the presence of God. And the New Testament, based on grace, comes and begins. Now, I was, uh, a couple of days ago, I was looking at a, at a, um, at a couple of scriptures. And it's interesting uh, that uh, we, we the, uh, another thing that we did is, w uh, we said, will the real Jesus... Uh, Hello. Will the real Jesus please step forward? Why? Because we've seen that now we have two Jesuses. One that is very harsh, very, very harsh on the, on the Jews and on the, and the Pharisees. And I'm talking about you sons of the devil, you whitewashed tombs, you... The, 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 and not only that, but I've, I've seen over and over, checking your Bible, you see that whenever he speaks to them, he says... It says in your law. And it was the Passover, a feast of the Jews. So there's this kind of almost distancing from, from the people of, um, of, of Israel. Why? Because he, approach, he approaches the people of Israel, he approaches the Jews with the law. And you need to understand that not all that Jesus says is for you. He speaks to Israel, and that's why he says crazy things like, pray this way, Father forgive me like I forgive the others. And I said to you, I said, are you crazy? Are you crazy to pray the Lord's Prayer? And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. How are you doing with that? How are you doing with people that, that cut you off on the highway and shows you the, the bird? Huh? How are you doing with people that steals from you? How are you doing with people that... Do you forgive them? Because you're asking the Father to forgive you like you forgive them. Is that crazy or what? But you see, because we have been told that everything in the Gospels belongs to us. Not only that, but crazy, more, even more than that, is that the whole Bible belongs to us. So when, so when God speaks to the Jews and tells them that we must stone the sun that collects sticks on the, on the Sabbath... That belongs to us. And that is the crazy trip that some of these preachers go on when they've got nothing else to preach. And so they have to come up with something and they say, uh, this is the Lord's Prayer. Don't lead us into temptation. Have you ever thought about that? They've tried to explain it. I mean, I've tried to explain it because I couldn't figure it out. Forgive us as we forgive. So anyway, I looked at, uh, I looked at some scriptures and I saw something interesting. Uh, uh, Matthew 10 and verse 6. Matthew 15 and 24. It says in 10, Matthew 10 and 6, he says, uh, now listen to this, it's Jesus is speaking and he says, 
I have not come, but for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But you see, we read that and we don't, we, nah, he didn't mean that. He meant he came for everybody. He came in the Gospels, he came for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And when he sends Matthew 15, 24, when he sends the apostles out, he sends them where? To the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So what happens? Happens something very interesting. Ephesians 2, 14 and 15, he says, he has made, uh, let's, let, let, me, let me read it. Ephesians 2, See, uh, I, I am destroying some, uh, some, uh, some things tonight, but uh, I promise I'll put them back together. <laughs> Ephesians 2.14 For He Himself, listen to this, He Himself, Jesus Christ, is our peace, who has made both one, and has broken down the middle wall of, wall of separation, what, the, the, the veil, having abolished in His flesh, the enmity that is, that is the law of commandments. This word commandments is the word dogma. Do you, does that remind you of anything? Containing ordinances so that to, as to create in himself, in himself, as to create in himself what? One new man from the two and thus making peace. So all of a sudden, up until the, the moment when he, 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 his flesh was broken on the cross until the moment he died there were two people Israel and the Gentiles and we'll see now something interesting that the Gentiles were not held responsible because the, the, the law does not apply to the Gentiles the law does not apply to you the law does not apply to us the law was given to Israel and that's why God all the time says guys you cannot do it without Messiah. And Jesus said, uh, you heard me saying this before, but he said, he said uh, it was written that in order to be, to be an adulterer, uh, you have to go to bed with a wife that's with a wife, with a woman that's not your wife. But I say to you, you must just look at her. It is written for you to be a murderer, you have to kill somebody. But I say to you, so what was he saying? He's saying, in the law it was difficult, but I'm saying to you, it's impossible. And, he, and he, he, he shuts the door in the face of Israel when he says to the young rich ruler, and he says, sell everything you have, pick up your cross and follow me. And people today will preach that verse of scripture to Gentiles. And I'm going... There is not a one of you that can say, I obey that commandment. But we must obey the commandments of Jesus, otherwise he doesn't love us. Otherwise, we are not baloney. You can't do it. You cannot do it. Those were things that Jesus threw at Israel to show them without Messiah, you can't do it. It's got nothing to do with us. Nothing to do. Now watch. Um, uh, John 10, 16. Well, Okay, I know that, but John 10, 16. Listen to this. This is so beautiful. In the light of what I just said to you, Israel and the Gentiles, listen to this. This is so beautiful. Uh, Jesus is, is doing his, I'm the good shepherd, discourse, right? 
This is what this is. By the way, the whole thing about the thief comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy, it's got nothing to do with the devil. Check your Bible. You'll see he's talking to religion. You'll see he's talking to religion. The hireling. The Jews. Okay, anyway. 16, it says, Other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. There will be one flock and one shepherd. When will this happen? When I give my life on the cross and I split the veil, and all of a sudden, Israel, Gentiles, and there's no more two different men, there's one new man. Hey, and welcome to the family. Okay, so, I just love it. I love it because all of a sudden, I'm free from the stuff that says, uh, you, you have to forgive. If you don't forgive, uh, the father, my father in heaven will not forgive you. You remember when, he's, when he talks about the servant that, that owned, uh, owned like $10 million and the other one they went to collect it? What, what does he end the story with? He says, and if you don't forgive your brother from your heart, neither will my father in heaven forgive you. Now, suck that up. How do you like that? How do you? You can't do it. You cannot do it. He was talking to Israel and he was saying, guys, understand, you cannot do it. You need me, Messiah. Remember me? Hamashiach, remember me? Right, I'm here. Wait until I split that veil and there will be no more law, no more Zion, no more Israel. There will be one man, one people. There will be either in Christ or in Adam. Okay. So then we said that, then we said that, that, I'm not preaching, I'm just reviewing what we <laughs> But then we said that, we said that the, in the law, there's always a reminder of the sins, right? And remember, we, 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 we saw that we have on, in our phone, we have a little app that reminds us of something, okay? The law is the same thing. And in the book of Hebrews, the writer says, in the sacrifice that was done every year, remember, the, uh, the, the Yom Kippur, the, the, the scapegoat would go, the priest would lay hands on the head, the, the one goat will go into the wilderness, the other one will be sacrificed. He said, in that, there's a reminder every year of the fact that you're not cleansed from your sin. You're just covered. The sin is only covered. Because the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away the sin. But what did John the Baptist say? Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And there you have it. See, all I'm begging you to do is I'm begging you, I'm asking you to just step back. Don't believe me. Just step back. And you heard it a thousand times. Believe the Word of God. Step back and watch if I'm giving you scripture or I'm giving you ideas. Right? It's, the Bible says the blood of goats and bulls cannot take away the sin. John the Baptist says, behold, the Lamb of God. That take note doesn't caporate, doesn't cover, doesn't atone, doesn't, doesn't hide the sin that stinks underneath. 
The one that doesn't do something because the pastor watches him or because the, 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 the wife watches him or because uh, he's this or he's that or he's the other, but he stinks inside because his heart is fraught. But the one that doesn't do it because the sin has been taken away. Okay, okay, watch. And then, so reminder. And then we saw that one of the, one of the classic uh, examples of a reminder was Peter after... Uh, Jesus said, before the rooster will crow, you will deny me three times. And so I asked you, imagine every time Peter woke up and that rooster crowed. What did he, what was the reminder? You're a traitor. You're a failure. And you call yourself a Christian. And that's what the devil does using religion. And he comes and he reminds you, you failed again. You didn't forgive. You swore. You lied. You did this, you did that, you did the other. You haven't got enough faith. That's why your daughter is not getting healed. You haven't got this and that's why this has happened. And, and there's always that reminder that your sin is not taken away. That you're still what you used to be. Okay, then last week we Hello. looked at... Yeah. Sorry. I, just, Sorry. I just discovered the other day that Jesus um, revealed himself to Peter after the came out of the grave. Mm -hmm. the, he was the first one to go to the one who traded him. Yes. To show him his... Yeah. In the, in the Gospel of Mark, in the Gospel of Mark, well, actually, the, the first one uh, that Jesus reveals himself to is the, is the woman that was possessed with many demons. Mm -hmm. Mary Magdalene. And uh, I wonder why. Maybe he's trying to tell us that it doesn't matter how many demons you have, I'll still love you. And I'll still show myself to you. See? But uh, what he does in, in the Gospel of Mark, the angels actually tell uh, the women, says, go to his disciples and tell them you will meet them in Galilee. Why? Because he had promised, he says, I will be killed and I will rise again and then I will meet you in Galilee. So the angels say, what he said stands. Nothing has changed. He will meet you in Galilee. And then they say, and tell Peter. In other words, it's almost like Jesus is saying, please tell my buddy Peter, please tell my friend Peter that I knew before he did it, he was going to do it. And I love him. Nothing has changed. Okay, so we've seen last week that this, this, this idea that uh, preaching grace will give people a license to sin. And I showed you a couple of uh, uh, clips where uh, nobody needs a license to sin, to sin. Okay? You remember little Kermit the Frog? That said, uh, uh, well, before you knew about grace, you didn't need a license to sin, did you? And then he closed it by saying, but in any case, it's none of my business. And that's my point. When people come and tell me, yeah, but you, you know, I know this person that did this and that and that and that and that and that. And then he, he went back, he denied Jesus, he's now a Satanist. Now, how about that? I said, none of my business. None of your business either. Because if he wasn't a Christian when he said he was, maybe he's not a Satanist when he says he was, when he says he is. What do you, how do you know? What is your business about, you know what is your business? It's because you want to put the law on others and grace on yourself. And that doesn't go down very well. So we said that there is no license to sin. And then we saw 
that there is a, this, this kind of split personality uh, uh, approach that, that, uh, that religion has. You're a saint or you're a sinner. You have this dual nature inside of you. You heard it um, possibly that uh, the story about the, the white wolf and the black wolf. And basically the one who wins is the one that gets fed the most. So if you feed the nature of the saint, the, the saint will win. If you feed the nature of the sinner, the sinner will win. I have a Greek word for that, baloney. <laughs> okay? And then we've seen, we've seen the, the greatest, sorry, they're a bit small, but the, uh, we've seen the, the greatest, uh, um, possibly the greatest block to uh, the message of grace is Hebrews 6 and Hebrews 10, where, where, the, where the writer to the, the gospel, to the, to the Hebrews, you must understand that it's contained within their sins and lawless deeds. I will remember no more. It's contained within that discourse. It's contained within that way of, of thinking. And all of a sudden comes the thing, because if you sin willingly after you received the, uh, the, the, the knowledge of the Word of God, and I asked you, if any one of you have ever sinned, Unwillingly. You know, people say, Oh, I fell in adultery. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. You walked into it with your eyes wide open. And if you did sin unwillingly, remember I told you, Paul says, Whatever is not of faith is sin. So if you didn't without thinking it was sin, it's not sin. Because the only thing that makes it sin is your decision to do it. You know it's wrong. And you do it. And that's... The, I'm, I'm going to ask you a question. How many sins do you need to have to be a sinner? None. None. You're born one. You're born a sinner. You don't have to sin. See, that's... That, that's all of a sudden, what we see is that your behavior doesn't change your nature. Your behavior doesn't do anything. It's your position that changes you. Know. In Christ, in Adam. In Adam, you don't, we'll see it just now. In Adam, you don't have to do anything. You're a sinner. And the fruits of it will be sinning. How many of you do, do you have to tell your little children? Well, I don't think anybody has got little children anymore. But uh, your children, please mess up your room a little bit. Please, just one night, come late. Please, smoke a little bit. Please, drink something every now and then. Come on, just do it. No, we don't. Why? Because it's the nature of the sinner that comes out. And so that nature is not changed by works or by behavior. It's changed by changing address. That's it. And so... We've seen the last one. We've seen the tree. With, uh, and the question was, is an apple tree an apple tree because it makes apples? Or does it make apple because it's an apple tree? And the answer is, yes. To both of them. So, saint or sinner? What is the, this thing that religion gives us 
that we, we have, you remember that we, we, we saw the uh, scripture in Second Peter where he says, we have been given through the precious promises and the knowledge of God who has made us partakers of his divine nature. Having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. So in other words, God has, God has made us partakers of his nature. So how much sin and nature is in God? None. None. That's why you must understand your nature is not the nature of a sinner that sometimes does something wrong. You are the righteousness of God in Christ that sometimes fails, sometimes makes a mistake, sometimes sin. But that does not make you a sinner because behavior doesn't change your location. If you live in Christ, you're in Christ. You might be sinning. And how many times I said that the prodigal son, if you're a son, you can be a disobedient son. You can be a rebellious son. You can be a messing up son. You can be a sinful son. You can be a terrible son. You can be even a, be, a, 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 betraying, a betraying son. Does that, make, does that change the fact that you're a son? No, it doesn't. Why? Because your location, your DNA, you cannot change. You can, yeah, but I can go and, and deny God. That doesn't change a lick of a thing. Your DNA, if your DNA is the divine DNA of, of God, your nature is the nature of God, the DNA is of God, you can't change it just as much as you can't change the physical DNA that your father and mother gave you. No matter what you do, no matter how you behave, no matter, and now, let me show you, because immediately what the thought is, see, I know, if I were to open up some of your heads, I know, yeah, but then, then I can do what I want. Because <laughs> I'm forgiven. I say, see, now watch. Is the tree an apple tree because it makes apples or does it make apples because it's an apple tree? The answer is yes. So, the key to producing fruit is not to strive, but to listen to your divine nature. How many of you have ever, been, ever gone into an orchard? I remember... When Lauren had the, the vineyard up in Stanford, one time we went there, and already at that time she had baboons that would, would throw the little ones over the electric fence to go into the vineyard. And, uh, uh, you know, I never went into the vineyard and heard one single plant pushing to make grapes. Mm, make grapes, I must make grapes. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a vine, I must make grapes. Make grapes, I must make, you know, I, never. Why? Because the nature of the vine is to make grapes. I mean, let me tell you something. Religion will take the nature of a fraught tree and hang nice fruits on it. Does that change anything? No, because the next time the, the tree makes fruit, it will be fruit. But if you are an apple tree, sometimes you might make a bad fruit. Some season you might even make no fruit. But that doesn't change the fact that you are an apple tree. Your nature does not change. So. The, the, the apple tree is an apple tree not because it makes fruit, fruit but it makes, it makes apples because it's an apple tree. However, our part is the one that to hear, to listen to our divine nature and decide 
that that's the way we're going. We apple trees, we make apples. Every now and then we can make a banana. <laughs> but the fact, I tell you, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go really out on thin ice here, but you can make bananas for the rest of your life. That doesn't change the fact that you're an apple tree. And if all the apple trees go to the apple tree heaven, when you die, it doesn't matter how many bananas you got, you're going to go to the apple tree heaven because of your nature, because of who you belong to, because of who you are, not because of what you do. Otherwise, what Jesus has done on the cross has no meaning whatsoever. If I can change my eternal destiny with what I do, what Jesus did on the cross has got no meaning whatsoever. Okay, now let's carry on. Now, uh, the, let, me, let, me, let me now look at... Let me now look at some ah, look at some scripture and and do what we said. Read God's word, okay? Romans chapter five. Romans chapter five, one of the most beautiful verses of scripture in the whole Bible is, is found in verse 10, where it says, For God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. While we were sinners, Christ died. We didn't deserve it. We didn't ask for it. We were dead in trespasses. Dead people don't ask. Dead people don't believe. Dead people don't do nothing. Dead people can only say thank you when someone comes and blows life into you. And that's the measure of our participation. Thank you. Now watch. Paul is talking and He's doing what I call the gospel in brackets. You will see that verse 13 starts with an opening of a bracket. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin <laughs> is not imputed where there is no law. So if the law was not given to the Gentiles, that's the reason why Jesus healed the Syrophoenician woman, didn't ask for anything. The paralyzed man in the pool of Bethesda didn't ask for anything. In fact, he didn't even know that Jesus was the one who healed him. You go through your Bible and you will see that all the ones that didn't have any problem with being healed, the Samaritans, the ten lepers, you remember? He healed the ten lepers. Okay, one came back, but the other nine were healed. They were Samaritans, sinners, hated by Israel. No problem with Jesus. And Jesus himself speaks to the Pharisees and he says, Hey, wait a minute, guys. Don't you remember that when there was a, a, a drought in the land, uh, who, who got, uh, who got uh, sorry, um, no, when, uh, when, uh, when Naaman, when Naaman uh, uh, needed to be healed, the Syrian, the Syrian um, general, remember? God healed Naaman, Elijah healed Naaman, the, the Syrian. Syrian, no law, no quest, nothing. So just go, jump in the lake seven times, and you'll be healed. 
That's it. No, no change of ways, no, no convert to Israel, no nothing. Go through the Bible, you will see that all the Gentiles were touched by God without any request whatsoever. The woman, the woman in, John, in John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman at the well, you remember? When Jesus says, if you knew what kind of Jew you're talking to, you would have asked him and he would have given you eternal life. No, sorry, living water that will lead you to eternal life. That will spring into your, uh, into your heart to eternal life. So what did he do? He didn't, he didn't say, go home and marry that guy you're shacking up with before I consider you. He didn't say, repent of your five failed marriages before I talk to you. No, he said, all you have to do is ask me and I'll give you the eternal life. Samaritan. And all the time, okay, let me carry on. So, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. Even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. What is he saying? He's saying what I said just now. You don't have to sin to be a sinner. Because you came out of Adam. And you know what he's saying? He's the likeness of him who is to come. He says you don't have to do anything right to be the righteousness of God. The same way that you don't have to do anything wrong to be a sinner because you came out of Adam, you don't have to do anything right to be the righteousness of God because you come out of Christ. And this is the gospel. And I'm losing my Bible. Okay, hold on. Okay. All right. Then it says, but the free gift. Oh, Jesus. What must you do for a gift? Huh? It's like he didn't have to put the word free. It's like he's trying to tell us something. Say, guys, it's a gift. It's a free gift. It's not what you do when you open your internet and you say, you've been chosen to be the receiver of a free gift. No, it's not because you're going to get paid. You're going to get charged for that. But the free gift, the free gift... Is not like the offense. Now listen, for if by one by the one man of by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man Jesus Christ abounded to many. How many? As many as will receive him. See the other one, everybody. This one, your parties. Yes? I received. That's all. Uh, now, and the gift, and again, gift, 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 he's trying to say, guys, you can't earn it. It's not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. How many sins did you commit? Many. How many sins did Adam commit? One. So one killed the whole human race, while many sins don't count for the justification of the human race. For if by one man offense, death reigned through that one, much more, much more, those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life 
through the one Jesus Christ. And this is where I want to stop for a second, because sometimes we think, okay, this is very nice, Mario, but this is a, it's like another doctrine, okay? We, we, we went through faith, we went through uh, Hillsong worship, we went through intercession, we went through this, and now this is grace. No, this is the only way by which you can reign in life. You're not going to get healing by faith. Sorry. Tell me honestly if you know somebody who believed all the way into the casket. We all know. We all know. Okay, maybe I know a few more because, you know. I, but like I said to the people in, in Italy, I said my record of healing people is about one out of ten. So when you line up, make sure you're number 10. <laughs> because usually 9 out of 10 die. One, by the grace of God, is healed. But we all know them. Faith will not, hand the, will not move the hand of God as much as lack of faith will cause you to be condemned. Faith doesn't heal. The love of God heals. Faith is the one thing that allows you to reach for and touch grace. You cannot touch grace, which is the, the work of the cross, which is the finished work of everything that God had to do. You can only touch it through faith. And faith, what is it? It's not that, mm, I believe, I believe. No, it's the thing that says, you know what? If this thing doesn't work, I'm going to sink. I'm going to trust it. God Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Everything else, it's of no consequence. I'm doing this. It's like I said to you many times, uh, faith is not faith if it's not in the presence of doubt. Faith without the presence of doubt is not faith, it's knowledge. Faith takes what God has already done. Grace provides... But faith reaches and brings home. That's why Ephesians 2.8 You are saved by grace through faith. You die in the desert. What you need is you don't need a book that tells you that you're stupid, you lost your way in the desert. You know that. But the church will come and tell you, you're a sinner, that's why you're suffering. I don't need that, I know it. I know I'm stupid, I know I messed up my marriage, I know I messed up my children, I know I messed up my body, I know I've been injecting stuff in my... I know it, you don't have to tell me. Get me out of here. I'm dying. And the guy in the desert that's dying doesn't need a book, doesn't need a condemnation. What does he need? He needs water. He needs life, he needs water. So the guy comes along and he's got a bottle of cool fountain sparkling water and he comes and he puts it down on the sand and he says here I brought you life that's grace I don't know you I don't know who you are I don't know if you deserve it I don't know you could be a Muslim running away from London you could be anything you could be, but here I brought you life and I put it there is that enough for you to live no. Grace offers. But faith needs to receive.
And everything in the Bible is like that. God has done it all. So let me, let me, let me, let me, let me kill another. Every now and then I hear this sacred cow that dies in the background. Let me tell you something. God's not going to heal you. God's healed you already. Now your faith reaches into that which has been done on the cross and receives what has been done. Now again, I cannot explain to you why it doesn't work like a machine. You don't put the, the faith coin in, pull the handle, and out comes the healing. It doesn't. Maybe it's for our own good. I don't know. Because if it was like that, we would fall in love with the system, with the method, and not with the author. And you know, you, you, you know it. All you have to do, go to Italy and you will see that Jesus is like in the back over there, like hidden behind a, a big statue of Mary. Why? Because the method has now said that you pray to Mary and Mary intercedes with God. So now all of a sudden, the method, the system, has taken the light, the glory, away from Jesus. And he's put it on someone else. And I'm asking you a question. If you could turn around and say, God healed me because I believed, who gets the glory? You do. And Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will give me all the glory. So the only time when, you, when Jesus receives the glory is when you do nothing. Like the, like the man in the pool of Bethesda. Lying there 38 years. Jesus shows up, says, you want to be made well? The guy doesn't say, oh yes, in the name of Jesus, I believe. Mark 11, 23, 24. I confess with my mouth, I believe in my heart. Hallelujah. Give it to me, Lord. No, he says, nah, nah. You don't understand. You, <laughs> you don't understand. See, now let me let me just let me just put you up to. Uh, what what happens here is that every now every now and then there's an angel that comes down, okay, and he stirs the water. And in brackets, the church is still waiting for the angel to come down and stir the water. Come, Holy Spirit! Come, Holy Spirit! I need you. Hey, I came. No. Acts two four. <laughs> I ain't coming again. Okay? I didn't leave. I'm still there. I'm still with you. I'm come Holy Spirit. Come. Ooh, more power. More That's all the power you got. There ain't no more power. Give me the double anointing of Elijah. Why? You got the anointing of Jesus. What do you want the double anointing of a Okay, so Jesus shows up and he says to the guy, You want to be made well? And he says, Nah, you don't understand the angel and this and that and that. And Jesus, Jesus says, okay, I'll tell you what, I gave you a chance. Now, because of your answer, stay paralyzed. And he walks off. No, he doesn't. No faith, no repentance, no confession, no nothing. He doesn't even know that that guy is God. He says, you know, you, you look a bit too skinny for me. You know, what, what I need is I need a big guy. And when the, when the water is stirred, picks me up, drops me in the water, and then I'll be healed. The opposite of faith. Does that stop the love of God? No. Jesus says, pick up your bed and go home. Why? I don't know. Just because I love you, I guess. 
And that's that's where and you can you can see the guy that gets dropped from the from the ceiling. You can see one after the other one. The faith intervention. It's right not it's it's not there. It's not you that moves the hand of God. You might move the hand of God in the wrong direction. When you say, okay, Jesus, don't do it, I'll do it myself. Israel, at the foot of Mount Sinai, when Moses comes back with the two tablets, and he reads the Ten Commandments, they say, whatever the Lord said, we will do. From that moment on, Israel begins to die. One after the other, after the other. Because they bring upon themselves the curse of we will keep the law. Not please help us to do it. Okay. Uh, that, yeah, so, bottom line, you want to reign in life? Trust Him. Step into grace. Step into relationship. Step into the place where you wake up in the morning and you say, Good morning, Jesus. Thank you for a great day. You know, I have the situation coming up. Could you take care of that, please? But, hey, not my will, but yours be done. Whatever. You know, I, I trust you so much that I don't dictate to you what to do in order for me to be happy. Because that's how we pray. We go to God and we say, okay, I'll tell you what. Just, just let me win the lotto once. And I'll give you a tithe. And we're all happy. And Jesus says, well, work with me at least. Buy a ticket. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Okay. <laughs> then we go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 14. We all know this, but uh, again, I want you to read for once. Read it and hear a different cheese. Okay? Um, 14. The love of Christ compels us. This is a beautiful, sorry. <laughs> this compels us. It's a beautiful Greek word. And, it's, and it, the root of this word is arm. It twists my arm. Do you know what the cops do when, when they arrest? It twists your arm, compels me. It twists my arm. The love of God twists my arm. To tell you these things. This is important. Because we, we judge thus. That if one died for all. Then all died. So. If you died in Christ. How many sins can you commit? None. It starts with na. And ends with <laughs> na. <laughs> Dead people don't commit sins. If one died. Do you remember when Paul says. I was crucified with Christ. Not I, therefore, that lives anymore, but Christ in me. See, so let's read the word for once and for all. Then all that. And he died for all. That those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. So there's the faith part. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. And what does the church and religion do? They regard everyone according to the flesh. 
according to whether you tithe or not, whether you, you, whether you, whether you go to church or not, whether you behave or not, whether you, you, you do this or not. Uh, no, no. According to, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know Him thus no longer. Even Jesus is not anymore according to the flesh, but is according to the perfection of the Spirit. Therefore, as conclusion of what I've just said, if anyone, how many? Anyone is in Christ, that is the as many, remember just, just now we read the scripture, they, 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 they all died, but as many as, sorry, that he saved many, okay? Why? As many as. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, which means look, check it out, focus on the new things. Paul is saying, don't drive your car looking in the rearview mirror. You're going to pray. Have you ever tried to drive your car looking in the rearview mirror? Everything is out of whack. You turn left, you're going right. You, you can't do it. You have to look forward to the things that have become new. And that's the nature of the, of the tree. Remember, don't strive. Just listen to the divine nature inside of you. The one that God has partaken of with you and has put it inside of you. This, I wanted to do an example, but it would have been too complicated. I wanted to take uh, uh, like a bed sheet or a sheet of paper or something and make it all black. And then another one all white. And drop a little uh, drop of black on one and drop of black on the other. And ask you, if your, if your nature is that of a sinner, what difference does it make, that little drop of black on a sheet that's all black? But if your nature is that of a saint, that drop of black on the white sheet will bug you. Will bug you something untold. Because your nature will rebel to that. Your nature will come along and say, you're not like that. Why did you do that? Why did you not forgive? Why, why, why were you angry? Why were you... I don't even need that. I've got my wife that reminds me of that. But, <laughs> but I... Yeah, you know, I, you do... Not, not you, but other people. Uh, but you do that. And all of a sudden you feel like you want to take a shower. Like something is not right. But if the sheet was black, you wouldn't even feel it. Because the... the, the what, the, what does the accuser do? The accuser say, ah, come on. You're a sinner anyway, so one more, more, one more, one less. You make any difference. And you get to the point with religion when you say, you know what, I can't do this thing, so I can just as well let it go. And that's what the devil wants. So that you will never be able to reign in life. Okay, now watch. All things have become new. Now all things are of God. Okay, now let's read it again. All things have become new. All things are of God. How difficult is that? How many things are of the devil? None. All things are of God. Who has reconciled past tense? Has reconciled. He's not going to do it once we behave. He's not going to do it once we deserve it. He's not going to do it once we're doing things right. Has 
reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. And he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. The ministry of reconciliation, not the ministry of accusation. The ministry of reconciliation is the one that says, you know what? You know what? God has forgiven you. Ah, no, you don't know what I've done. No, 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 no. I don't, but I do. But God has forgiven you. He has reconciled you with himself through Jesus Christ. If you want, if you want the shower, total cleansing, once and for all, jack, gone, accept this reconciliation. Because God has reconciled. Now watch what he says. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the church to himself. Is that what it says? Reconciling the world to himself. You see that the many, humanity is being redeemed in Christ. There is not one single person that has to go to hell. He has, is this the, is this the Bible? Is this all right? Am I it's black, so it's, it's okay. Am I reading the word of God? It says, God has in Christ reconciled the world to himself. And has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. The one that goes to the sinner and says, you know what? God has forgiven you. You're forgiven. But I don't believe it. It doesn't matter. You're forgiven. That's the good news. The good news of the gospel is unto you today a Savior is born in the city of David. Whose name is Christ the Lord. But I don't believe it. Doesn't matter. Unto you today a sinner is born. A, 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 a Savior is born. But I'm a Muslim. It doesn't matter unto you today. Now what you do with that piece of news will determine the rest of your life. But God has reconciled you to himself. Not, <laughs> okay. Not imputing their trespasses to them. Not imputing their sins, trespasses, ugly deeds, everything. Why? Because he doesn't see the world, he sees Christ. In Christ, the world has been redeemed and reconciled to himself. Okay, let me carry on, otherwise, yeah. Now, when we're ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. What is that? Grace by grace, you've been saved. Now, through faith, receive it. Please, please, please be reconciled to God, because he's reconciled himself to you. Now, just accept that and be reconciled yourself to God. That's what he's saying. For he made him, and again, this is pretty simple, straightforward. He made him, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Okay. Uh, all right, I need, to, I need to go a little bit faster. Forgive me, but this thing is like Ephesians 1, 3, 1, 1, 3 to 7. Blessed be the God of our Father, Jesus Christ, the, of, and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, past, with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Why? The whole world was in Christ, redeemed. 
And now it's up to them to decide whether they accept it or not. That we should be holy without blame before Him in love. It, we were chosen in Christ so that we would be holy and without blame. Because in Christ, you have no blame. Um, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will. <sighs> Too much. To the praise and the glory of His grace, by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. The word there is the word carito, which means highly favored. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sin. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness. In Him we have redemption through His blood. The what? The forgiveness of sins. According to the riches of what? Of His grace. We have the forgiveness of sins, not because we ask forgiveness but because of the riches of His grace. To... Okay, let me... Let me just, just take some notes there and look it up. Otherwise, it's, I just want to finish with this. Now, if it's true, and it is, that I cannot sin, that I cannot, in the eyes of God, I cannot commit sin, that my sins are being wiped out, that my sins are being forgive, forgiven, forgotten, that I in Christ, I am as righteous as God Himself in Christ. I cannot be touched by sin. I cannot be touched by anything that I do. No matter what I do, I am cleansed. I am a son. I am going to heaven. I am fine. If that's the case, and it is, can I just be stupid and go out and do what I want and sin? There's a penalty. You remember that the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Now, if that death is not my spiritual death, what death is it? It's death of my marriage. It's death of my health. It's death of my finances. It's death of my relationship. It's death. There are consequences to my sin. Not eternal, temporal. There are heavy consequences. And I want to finish with this story. 2 Samuel 12, 13. It's something that when I saw it uh, a couple of months ago, it really blew me away. You all know the story of Uncle David. David was, uh, was a king. And the Bible says in, in 2 Samuel that um, uh, when the season came that the kings went to war, he stayed home. He stayed home. And his telenovelas was finished, and he couldn't follow, they didn't like CNN, BBC, so he went out on the balcony, and he took a look out, and he breathed some air. And all of a sudden, there was a UFO, an unidentified female object, uh, or undressed female object, on the balcony, down the road from him. And he looked at her, taking a bath, which seems a bit goofy to us, but in those days, the, the house... The, the, the palace of the king was high and so everything else was low and the bath was on the roof. So, uh, so she was taking a bath and immediately David, because it was the man of God that David was, he turned around and he said, please tell that lady not to take the bath in my presence because he, she made me sin. And then if I sin, then Israel must stone me even if I'm the, the king because the law says I must be stoned. No, he didn't. What did he say? He said, look, and he said, ha, who? Whoa, what? Yeah, I actually felt like a Bible study tonight. So would you go and ask the lady to come to my chambers and we can have an in-depth Bible study. 
So the servant went, and in brackets, it's very interesting, the servant went, so the servant knew. <laughs> so we will see later what this means, but uh, the servant knew. In fact, the whole palace knew that the king went to bed with this one lady, Bathsheba, Mrs. Uriah. Uriah was uh, one of uh, David's uh, loyal soldiers who was fighting uh, against the armies of the Philistines at the front, at, uh, at the line of battle, while his king was going to bed with his wife. And it just so happens that the battle study was so deep that uh, a little baby was conceived. And now we have a problem, because as long as nobody knows, the servants, I can kill them, I can tell them to keep quiet, you know, I'm the king, I can tell everybody to hush, and you know, the whole thing is fine. But if all of a sudden a little baby boy is born, and maybe Bathsheba is black, and I'm white, and he's born white, <laughs> we got a problem, you know, or if I'm, maybe I'm black, and she's white, and they're born black, we got a problem. So if there's a baby born while Uriah is out at the, uh, you know, many, many moons away, uh, we have a problem, obviously, the whole palace know that I laid with her, so obviously it's my child. And I can be stoned, according to the law. The Bible says, the law says, that if a man is caught in adultery with a woman, both of them should be stoned. So now David is facing stoning. And in those days, you didn't get stoned by drinking a lot. You got stoned with real rocks. And so, got a problem. So David concocts this plan, and he calls Uriah. He sends a WhatsApp to his buddy Joab, and he says, Joab, send me Uriah. So Uriah arrives with his donkey. And, uh, my king! And David says, uh, hey buddy, I'm so happy you came here. You know what? Uh, I was thinking, you're such a nice guy, you're such a loyal, such a loyal soldier. I want to give you some time off. Why don't you go home and talk to your wife? That seems to be very lonely. If he can get Uriah in bed with his wife, he's home and dry. Because even if the baby turns out black and everybody else is white, <laughs> there's still doubt. You know, there's still, still, you know, can't really point the finger at David. So Uriah says, no, sir, I will not do that. I'm while I'm my my brothers, my friends are out there fighting for you, sir. I will not do that. I will sleep in the in the square, in the public square. Thank you very much, sir. Took and goes to sleep in the square. And David said, No, not in the square. Go home, you idiot. And he doesn't want to go home. So the next day David thinks okay, let me see if I can. Uriah, come here, my man. Come here, my man. I got I got this. Case of castle, <laughs> lager, lecker. Come here, come. Let's buy a couple of choppies and uh, and he makes him drink and drink and drink and drink until Uriah is as drunk as a skunk. And there's no way that he's going like this. And David says, "Okay, now go home." And Uriah says, "No, sir, King, 
I'm not going home because I cannot do this to my friends right now. Who cares about your friends? Go home. No, sir, I'm not going home. And he goes back to the square. And David says, this idiot, what am I supposed to do? There's nothing else that I can do. So he signs a letter. He writes a letter addressed to Joab, the, the general of his army, and signed King David. And he says, Joab, next time you go fight the Philistines, I want you to do something for me. And again, in brackets, somebody else knows what's happening with David. None other than Joab. And we will see the consequences of this later on in the life of Joab and in the life of David. But he writes and he says, uh, please, uh, what I need you to do is I need you to uh, push Uriah right up to the, to the wall of the, of the fortified city while, you, while you're fighting. And then when he's there, withdraw and leave him there. Now this is David, the beloved of God. This is David, okay? This is David, part of the messianic title of Jesus is Yeshua HaMashiach Ben David, son of David. This is, this is, this is God saying, guys, you want grace? Here's grace, David. And David concocts this plan to have Uriah killed. And so it happens. The battle happens. Joab pushes his army against the Philistines and then he withdraws. Uriah is there and he dies. And Joab writes a letter. He sends it to David. And he says, Dear king, remember when you told me to have Uriah killed, I just want you to know that he's dead. By the way, I would like you to know that I know what happened. So David gets the, the letter, and everybody's happy. Now he takes Bathsheba, and he marries her. Because now she's not a married woman anymore, she's a widow. So he can marry her. And everybody knows what's cooking anyway, but he marries her. And this prophet by the name of Nathan shows up at David's door and he says, uh, uh, well, God sends Nathan to David because God loves David. And he says, uh, go and tell David that uh, because of what he's done, violence will never leave his house. No, sorry, sorry, sorry. But, but pause, rewind. Nathan tells David a story. And he says, let me tell you a story of, of a man, two men actually. One was very rich and one was very poor. And they, were, they, they lived next to each other. So already there you know that it's, it's a, it's a make-believe story. But anyway, he says, uh, uh, the, 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 the rich man had flocks and herds and had anything he wanted. He had sheep and... Uh, the poor man had one little ewe lamb. And he loved this ewe lamb so much treated this little thing like it was his own daughter. One day, someone came to visit the rich man. The rich man said, I'm not going to kill any more sheep. There's this peasant next to me, go and take his lamb. So they go and take his lamb. The hue lamb that this man loved. Take it, kill it. The man, distraught, 
rich man feasts with his friends. And David doesn't even let Nathan finish the story. He jumps up and he says, that man should die. How can that happen in Israel? That man should die. And Nathan says, uh, now that you mention it, David, you are that man. And then, this is where the Bible is so magnificent. Because in 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 13, 2 Samuel 12 and verse, let's read uh, verse 7. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king of Israel and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I also would have given you much more. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house, Absalom in brackets, and I will take your wife before your eyes and give him to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it, well, for you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel. So David said to Nathan, I've sinned against the Lord. Nathan said, because of what you've done, consequences will hit you hard. But now watch what he says. Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. That word for put away is the Hebrew word abar. And it means literally to put a cross over it. The Lord has put a cross over your sin. You will not die. That is Calvary. The Lord... Does that mean that there's going to be no consequences? Let me tell you the consequences. Because of what you've done, the little baby that you conceived with Bathsheba is going to die. Why? He didn't do anything wrong. Yeah, your sin makes innocent people pay. Your sin makes people that have got nothing to do with your sin. You drink too much. You, you, you shoot up yourself. And you go out and you drive. Bang! You hit somebody head on. And it's a family. And it's a young man who just married his wife and she's pregnant. And they all die. Because you sinned. Did God do it? No. Your sin has got consequences. And the child dies. But Jehovah the Lord says, I have put a, a bar, I have put a cross over your sin. You shall not die. Ooh. David, worse than this, I don't know. Honestly. I mean, it's, it, worse things than these have only happened in the last 40, 50 years. But before, 
Someone who did this was a bad, bad, bad boy. And yet, the Lord says, I know it, I've seen it, I've watched you do it, you will not die. That's the grace of God. I've put a cross over it, you will not die. However, the consequences remain. 